Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel. Sundays, 9 a.m. to noon. Raleigh drops one in the air pretty deep to right. Acuna goes all the way back to the wall. Acuna leaves. some mad hops this the gamer this the gamer he glanced at the wall glanced at the ball he knew how much time and how much room he had he timed that jump perfectly and we've been talking about this all game some athletes on this field today ronald acuna jr robbing cal raleigh I hate to see the big dumper robbed like that. Yes, Cal Raleigh of the Mariners, the catcher. His nickname is The Big Dumper. See if you can guess why, folks. I'll give you a minute. Why would a ball player be called The Big Dumper? Anybody got a guess? (sighs) Yeah, it's because his butt is very large, according to some teammates. Jared Kellenick, his teammate, put it out there on Twitter when Raleigh got called up. Ooh, look, Big Dumper going to the show. And people were like, what? Scooby? It's pretty good Scooby. I feel good about my Scooby. I thought it was great. I feel good about my Krusty the Clown. Burn that seat. That was good, too. Thank you very much. Still should be impressed. Yeah, well, he is. I I broke it out the other day. We were talking about elective surgery in, uh, in transition, and I said, you see me complaining about the breasts? Um, but anyway, none of that is why you're listening to hit and run on six seventy. the score. Cal Raleigh, the big dumper robbed by Ronald Acuna jr. Who I last segment called inarguably the best player in baseball, inarguably. And a couple's textures are like, have you ever heard of Shohei Otani? And they make a good point. That Otani guy's pretty good. Make huh? a very good point about that. So maybe I shouldn't say inarguably the best player in baseball when I'm talking about a guy who doesn't pitch as well. Um, Earlier this week, by the way, Otani reached base five times and threw seven innings in the same game. And then the next night, he was back in the lineup batting third. Meanwhile, Chris Sale, after going seven innings last night, is going to spend, what, the whole day in an ice tub? You know, maybe he'll golf tomorrow. Something like that. Otani is back in the lineup the next day. So, 
Oh boy. I heard there was a there was a stat I heard a couple days ago in one of his starts he had more hits than he had allowed and that's happened in like multiple starts this year. <laughs> sure, sure. He's, it's because Otani is an absolute unicorn and, and we've never seen anything like him. He's inarguably the best player in baseball. Ronald Acuna, really good though. He leads MLB in runs and hits. He leads the National League in steals, OPS, total bases, and WAR. That's pretty good. And Ronald Acuna Jr. on pace to lead the National League in steals and OPS. And I asked you the question before the break. Only two players since 1945 have done it. Led a league in stolen bases and on-base plus slugging. And they are. A couple of texters had it. Ricky Henderson in 1990. Ricky Henderson, how you doing? Ricky Henderson in 1990. And Willie Mays did it in back-to-back seasons, 1957 and 1958. That's it. That's who Ronald Acuna Jr. is chasing with steals and OPS combined. So outrageous, outrageous stuff. I thought you might say Alfonso Soriano. I thought he might sneak into that after that 40-40 season there with the Nats. Yeah, you know, he has that. That's the last time. I believe that's the last time anybody's gone 40-40 is 2006 Soriano. I think so. is chasing that, obviously. And uh, I'll be surprised if he doesn't as long as he stays healthy. Hope he stays healthy. Spencer Strider, his Braves teammate, was asked about Ronald Acuna, and he said, uh, he's the best player I've ever seen. I don't know what else to say about him. Words can't really do it justice. He's the best player in the game right now, and I'm just glad he's on our team. That's uh, Spencer Strider. Hey, Spencer, what about Otani, man? What about Otani? He'd probably go, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, other than Otani. Otani's a unicorn. So I'm, uh, I'm with Spencer on getting my head out over my skis. Uh, this afternoon, because of a rainout yesterday at not Shea Stadium, it's called City Field, folks. Come on. Get with it. Get modern with me. All right. Greg Jeffries isn't coming through that door. He's not. There, there's no Roger McDowell or Jesse Orozco in that bullpen. Okay? It's City Field. Anyway, the Mets are going to send Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander to the mound for a doubleheader against Cleveland in the Francisco Lindor reunion series, a trade that Cleveland won. I think Cleveland won that trade. Ahmed Rosario, Andres Jimenez, massive financial flexibility. I think they won that. Mets probably still do it because they don't care about money. It doesn't mean anything to them. So they've got Frankie Lindor. But Scherzer and Verlander for the Mets today. Good luck. Yeah, seriously. So the Mets are going to be the first time to start pitchers who have each won three or more Cy Youngs in both ends of a doubleheader. <laughs> We've got two guys that each have three or more Cy Young awards Good luck. But Verlander got booed last time, right? He did get booed a little bit, yeah. In his debut. Yeah. He did fan three uh, rays, but yeah, got booed a little bit. Got booed. Only three strikeouts. That's not enough, Justin. Come on, man. At least get more strikeouts than Cy Young Wars. Yeah, they're paying you a giant pile to be yourself. Meanwhile, Max Scherzer flailing about this year, um, complaining about the pitch clock after boasting about it early telling everyone that injuries are coming for pitch clock people and pitchers. And, oh, by the way, getting caught using sticky stuff and suspended for 10 days because he's desperately trying to be as good as he has been for his entire career, trying to live up 
to what he is. So, woof. Um, but anyway, they're really good and have been historically. The only team to start pitchers who had even won two or more signal awards in a doubleheader. Also the Mets, September of 2008, Pedro Martinez and Johan Santana. That from Sarah Langs. But then this one might be the best stat about this doubleheader. Uh, Tommy John and Joe Necro were sent out by the Yankees in 1986 to start a doubleheader. That's the last time a team started two guys who had already won 200 games in their career. That's the last time, 86. And now we have Scherzer and Verlander this afternoon. White Sox have been getting very, very, very good bullpen work from Kendall Graveman of late and especially Joe Kelly of late, who is on an absolute crazy heater. Joe Kelly's throwing everything he wants for strikes, and he's been borderline unhittable um, over the last eight innings. I think he still has just given up one hit over the last eight innings, and it was an infield hit. It's a dribbler. That's Joe Kelly's run right now. And soon they will have Liam Hendricks. Liam Hendricks threw to hitters on Friday at Sox Park. The next time he takes the mound, it is going to be on the road. And he will be doing that as well against hitters, probably in Cleveland, getting closer for his 2023 debut. Be fun if that would happen at home. But the White Sox on the road with Cleveland and Detroit this week. Maybe it'll happen in Detroit. But either way, his first appearance at home is going to be very, very celebratory and should be. And then we learned this uh, on Friday as well, that not once, not twice, but three times, Liam Hendricks has done the thing that a veteran on a rehab stint often does when they're with the minor league team, and that's buy food, like the post-game spread. He's done it three different times. Liam, a couple of food trucks came out this week to visit the night staff, the players, and then even the opposing team as well. This is something that, you know, rehab players will do for the team that they're playing with, but not always for the staff, not always for the opposing team. What went into the decision to do that for everybody here this week? I mean, you take care of everyone around because at the end of the day, there's a lot of people who are very underappreciated, especially on the back workings of baseball, whether it be the front office, whether it be the umpires, whether it be... I mean, you can look at the opposing team or the coaching staff or anything like this. They're very undervalued. And I think any way to show my little piece of gratitude for anything they're able to do uh, and put this together on a nightly basis is a little bit of food can, uh, it's a small way of showing our appreciation and recognizing that we understand what they do. That's really, really cool. Liam Hendricks has done it three different times. He's he's a great dude. It, it, the work that he has done, um, you know, in his charity work and just the way that he talks about stuff, his openness, his willingness to stand up for what he believes. Big fan of Liam Hendricks, the person, um, as much as I am of Liam Hendricks, the pitcher. Verlander versus Shane Bieber in one of those games. That'll be the nightcap game. And I think that's on ESPN. In fact, tonight, Sunday Night Baseball is Verlander and Bieber. That's not bad. From City Field. That, folks, is not bad indeed. Let's squeeze in a phone call before we take a break and talk to Justin Stone, the director of hitting for the Chicago Cubs. This is Ben in Queens on 670 The Score. Hello, Ben. Good morning, Matt. I was just talking to Ruben about his piano. Always a pleasure. I hope you're doing well in Chicago. Thank you, sir. I hear, as you know, number one Cubs optimist. I'm looking at the Pythagorean. 
and the Cubs have the expected win-loss of as good as anybody in their uh, division and as good as anybody in the wild-card race. So that would suggest that there have been a few decisions up at the top that have led to the Cubs to have the record they have. Hmm. Now, why Nick Magical has got so many starts at third base with his 65 OPS plus is beyond me. I think they must be trying to showcase him to trade him because he really shouldn't be on the roster. He's in the bottom percentile in almost every uh, significant um, stat in the league. Stat, is stat, like is stat or stat cast, you mean, in terms of the percentile? Stats? Uh, I'm looking at stat, stat cast. For example, the uh, ex-Wobicon, the expected weighted on base, he's in, the, he's in the, the bottom percentile of the league. You know who's in the top percentile of the league? Patrick Wisdom. Huh. Now, I want to just talk about a couple things about Patrick Wisdom. I know 37% K rate. I know he let the ball play him last night on the air. Yeah, back that. If you look at, if you look at every, if you look at the plate discipline, the O swing down, the Z swing down, the swing percentage down, the contact rate is up. He has the 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 walk percentage is up. He has made a good. Uh, decisions, and he has made um, has made good changes at the plate, and he has not been rewarded as such. He has 156 plate appearances. If you look at like uh, Max Muncie or Kyle Schwarber, I know they're in different parts of the lineup, but they have 20 to 40 more uh, plate appearances than 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 Patrick Wisdom. Patrick Wisdom, if he was on the Rays, he would be batting fourth or fifth. Every damn day. I, I I don't know why he's not in the lineup more. I get it. Mastaboni's in there today. But Patrick Wisdom is in the league leaders in everything. The ISO is off the charts. Mm. 136 OPS plus. Please help me out with this, Matt. I love you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. Uh, it's a great call. Uh, I'll tell you what. When the Cubs brought up Morell and Mervis, they answered a bunch of questions about, well, do they are they trying to give David Ross the best 26 guys so he can win? Are they really considering this year as a contender or as just a building block? That's the big question, right, is how does the front office feel about this team? Morell and Mervis was an answer. And then all the moves the other day were another answer. Eric Hosmer, love you. There's no spot here, though. I'm sorry. Keegan Thompson, love you. But you're going to have to develop in the minors because we can't afford to give you opportunities up here while you're struggling. Okay? Um Edwin Rios, come back. Uh, Nico, obviously, come back. But the one move that's left, there's a couple things that's left. One move that's clear is, is Madrigal. He's given you a body of work now. I know they feel good about his defense at third base, but you need the bop that Wisdom can give you. And now here's Rios. If you really want his lefty bat in the lineup, then clearing away Madrigal for a pitcher for a reliever of some kind that you bring up in the next few days is, a, is something that makes a lot of sense. How about this? Let, let's mark the tape and remember this, okay? When Cody Hoyer gets activated, probably on the 29th, a pitcher swapped in for a position player, and it might be sooner than that. Monday's an off day. Maybe it's Tuesday. But swapping a pitcher into that relief core and getting rid of a position player who's excess, and that would be Madrigal, who has options. Maybe that's the moment that Nick Madrigal goes back to the minors. Let's uh, look at that and think about that possibility over the next couple 
of weeks. It is Hit and Run on 670 The Score. I'm Matt Spiegel. Justin Stone, the director of hitting for the Cubs, joins us next. The premier baseball show in Chicago. Hit and Run with Matt Spiegel. Mejia, ready and delivers. Swing, ground ball, past the pitcher, in the center field. Wogu gets the wave. Here he comes. Smokies win. The Smokies win. Pete Crow Armstrong has delivered the winner. A 4-3 final. What do you say? Pete Crow Armstrong with the walk-off winner for the Tennessee Smokies in the Cubs organization. Among the names we may mention to Justin Stone, who is the director of hitting for the Chicago Cubs and joins us right now on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Justin, thanks so much for the time. Welcome to Hit and Run with me, Matt Spiegel. How are you? Great. You know, that uh, soundbite you just played of Pete and Jordan really fires me up. I love hearing that. That Tennessee club's really fun to watch. Yeah, they are, right? Who else are you enjoying watching on that club right now as a, as a guy who's closely checking out all the hitters? Yeah, I actually just uh, got back from Pensacola from watching that team. Um, you know, there's justifiably Owen Casey and Pete get a lot of the headlines and a lot of the time on the prospect list, but the depth of our system is so good. And there's so many players that, you know, are riding 900 and 1,000 OPSs that don't get talked about a lot. B.J. Murray is leading the Carolina League, or excuse me, the Southern League in OPS right now. Um, Chase Strump is right up there having another good year. Um, I mean, we just have so many players that don't get talked about enough that would probably be top 20 prospects in a lot of different organizations. Yeah, is Jordan and Wogu one of those guys? I, I, I did a few games um, in, in the spring last year, and he hit a couple of bombs of a game I was doing. I was like, oh, my goodness, and he's, he's doing well, right? Uh, Jordan has been on and off so far this spring, but he, he's definitely a player that when you see him, he'll open your eyes because he'll do something once a game that you're like, that's just not normal to happen on a baseball field. But even his miss hits are 105 miles an hour, and he is so athletic. You know, with the frame, it looks like he could play outside linebacker for the Bears. The guy can really, really run. So every time he gets on base, he's a stolen base threat too. All right, so so Justin, here's here's what I'm wondering: as you're watching all these guys, I mean, it, it we've gotten a chance to get smarter as baseball fans because we watched a Theo Epstein rebuild, you know, followed by a Rick Hahn rebuild, and now we're seeing Jed. Um, and Carter take this next level step, and that meant you and, and Craig Breslow. And it's like it's so fun for a baseball fan to learn like how the sausage is made, and then see how different people make different kinds of sausage. Like it's really it's really really interesting. Um, uh, I'm fully expecting at some point the Cubs are going to have to trade from this prospect depth that you're talking about in order to acquire a superstar, you know, or to acquire whatever they need. As you're evaluating players that you have, you obviously want them all to do well, but when you're noticing that somebody, I mean, are you evaluating with that in mind as well? Like this might be someone we could afford to trade. This would be someone I wouldn't want to trade. Does that kind of thought process come up? Yeah, it does. You know, there's a lot of people that have their hand in that, and Jed and Carter will ultimately make those decisions. But we're, we're evaluating our own own talent with a lot of different departments outside of uh, just the pro scouting, but PD does the same thing. So it's something we keep in mind. Yeah, that, that's not of my concern, to be honest. My concern is to get our players better at hitting. And by that natural progression, you, you know, if you're doing a good job, your players are getting better, and it gives 
Jed and Carter more options for those type of decisions. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, how consistent is the teaching and the philosophy from level to level within the organization uh, right now? Well, that's something uh, when I stepped in that was uh, a big concern of when you're the head of a department that the message, one, is correct for the player, but also consistent. And, you know, owning a business, I have a elite baseball training down the street from the stadium. That was something as I grew in a business and we had 50 instructors, hmm. you can't have a student go from one cage to another and learn conflicting information. And the same thing holds true with the Cubs organization. You can't have conflicting information from one level to the next. Now, I'm super proud, probably proudest of all of the staff that we put in place with the Cubs organization. And almost all of us had previous relationships and had taught together in the past. We were already working off of the same system. So I, I would put our minor league hitting staff up against anybody's in baseball. I would like to selfishly think it's the best. So, I mean, it's so important, isn't it? I mean, and obviously some organizations do this better than others. I can't imagine being a young hitter and being told one thing at double A and then getting promoted. And first of all, I mean, what, what needs to happen for that kid when he gets to triple a, like he gets reminded of, Hey, we know exactly who you are and exactly what you do and how you learn, like how you talk to these guys. I, it, it's gotta be a lot to try and make sure that everybody's on the same page with. Yeah, we, we actually have a pretty good process in place for that. Everything is catalog and log on a player's file that's digital. But whenever a player moves levels, um, the hitting coaches, the coordinators, even Jerry. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Third banner and myself, we all hop on a, on a, this is coming out of COVID, right? On a Teams call, on a Zoom call. Yeah. And we talk about what is happening in real time. What is the player's progression? So just to make sure that there's uh not any communication gaps when a player goes from level to level. Would you, talking to Justin Stone, the director of hitting for the Chicago Cubs, would you give us like just sort of a quick rundown of some of the systems and data that 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 you use, be it like I always hear about things like, you know, Rapsodo and Edgertronic cameras and Codify for, 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 for pitchers and things like that. What's some of the stuff that you guys use, if you could fill us in a little bit? Well, in our baseline labs and you know, what we're doing in spring training or the Arizona complex, well, it's everything from markless motion capture to force plates to wearable technology that will test the kinematic system of the body as you go through the swing. So it gets very detailed. But now with the uh, new minor league CBA, some of that can be limited to the player. So what we are fortunate of having and have had the longest across major and minor league baseballs are 
uh, markless motion capture in-game. And we have that at all of our minor league affiliates. We have it at the big league stadium. So we're getting next-day biomechanical data that all of our coaches are trained to know how to break down. So that, that is the best information you could possibly get, and that's what we largely work off of day after day. When, when did that get established as something that you have at every level like that? Uh, we've had it for five years. Um, across the affiliates, I think we're going on year number three. So the mass of data that we've uh, compiled, not just with our own players, but across the league, is definitely a competitive advantage. Wow, that's fascinating. So if you have – you can see, like, similar body type or similar swings from from one player's data to the other. If you see similarities, do you, do you compare and contrast like that with that data? Yeah, we do. I mean, think of – uh, a swing signature is being just that. It's like a, your own unique thumbprint. So you have to get a little deeper than that and understand how the human body just moves and interacts with the ground. And from player to player, that's different. And you can't just look at that from the system and say player A is going to swing like player B because they look the same. Mm-hmm. Underneath the surface, you have to understand how the player moves. Unfortunately, with other teams' players, you, you really have to get your hands on them to do a movement assessment to do that. But with our own players, that's like day one, do not pass go, do not collect $200 until our coaches do a movement assessment on our players to understand the underlying movement characteristics that they have. So, wow, the swing signature, when you talk about that, does that have everything? Does that have the stance, the setup, the follow-through, or are you just talking about the bat path through the zone? No, it starts from the beginning. It's really optimizing efficiency for that player knowing their strength level, you know, what type of player are we projecting them to be, what type of offensive output are we trying to get from them, uh, and then factoring in their own unique movement profile. So all of those things go into consideration and sometimes leads to a change where we bring something to a player and say, hey, we think you could be a little more efficient in this area. And, you know, that might add a tick or two of exit velocity, which can make a big difference. That's a big jump for a player. Um, In 2019, we were 30th in all of, major and minor league baseball in organizational exit velocity. And now we're number one. And largely that goes to how good our high performance program is. But some of that too, is how good our coaches are optimizing that swing efficiency. Wow. So that, that, that's a big one. When were you 30th to gloat about that again? Give me that, that success. 2019. 2019. So from 2019 to 23 as an organization, top to bottom. Correct. We were 30th in organizational exit velocity and now we stand at number one wow that 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 is amazing uh talking to justin stone the director of hitting for the cubs um when you're deciding what to share of all this data with a given player uh that's that's where it's fascinating to me because of the so many different ways that that players learn um i'm sure you've had moments where like damn it i gave that guy too much uh oh, yeah. a, a, right? <laughs> so how do you how do you figure that out do you ask the player or do you are there ways that you can figure that out before you even come to them yeah that's uh something i think our department had to learn because most of us came out of the facility side where people are paying for your opinion and they want it right now it doesn't work that way in pro ball you have to establish trust and a relationship with the player and you oftentimes are back pocketing that information mm-hmm. but the general philosophy on that is we have you can overwhelm somebody pretty easily uh with too much information going to them so we will give the player as little as we possibly can to get them to do what we need them to do if you flood them with too much information they're just going to skedaddle right out of your office and not want to have anything to do with it in the future 
so that's something that's really important to us to understand the player's learning style. And you do that by developing trust and relationship from the start. Yeah. Uh, thank you for skedaddle, by the way, underutilized in conversation, in my opinion. Um, uh, Cody Bellinger is, is fascinating to me because I'm sure the Dodgers, who obviously you've got to feel like the Dodgers are a rival for doing what you do as, as well as anybody in the game, right? Yeah, I, I would argue that they and the Yankees um, and the Rays are of that upper echelon that would have a similar program to what we have. Okay, so Dodgers, Yankees, Rays, and Cubs, which is a hell of a place to be. They must have tried everything with Cody Bellinger, and what you guys have tried has worked. What has been the key there for you, you think? I, I can't speak for what the Dodgers did or didn't do because I wasn't there, and but I do know that they would have similar information to what we did for Cody. So I think that speaks to how good of a communicator Dustin Kelly, and that's another coach that's come through our minor league system as a coordinator now at the big league level, just just shows that fluidity that we have throughout the system. But Dustin's such a good communicator, and he would have done just that. He would have established the relationship first before you attack it with a teaching program. Mm-hmm. So, so, so that's, but, but you really, you, you let the hitting coaches do their jobs. It, for you, it's about developing trust with the hitting coaches, I would assume. Well, you have to. If you're going to get the most out of your people, you got to you got to let them work. You can't. I'm I'm not a micromanager in my management style, <laughs> but I also know um, the talent level that we've amassed. And the, the front, you have to give credit to the front office too, because they have allowed us to pay these coaches what they're worth to make our players better. And that doesn't happen in every organization. I think um, our management, Jed and Carter, understand the importance of player development. That's kind of the the new frontier of getting a competitive advantage. And they've gone out of the way to make sure that we can amass not just talented players, but really talented coaches. All right. So am I not going to see Justin Stone like sauntering through the clubhouse and like pulling Ian Happ aside and saying, Hey, you know, I saw this Uh, like, or, or, or would you do that every once in a while with a big league player? No, I don't. I I like to be the the guy kind of behind the computer screen in the, in the weeds. I want those messages not to happen for me. Sometimes there's a front office message that has to be relayed maybe some urgency with the player that you want to really push a button on. But generally I want that, those communication streams to go from the coach, the person they're in the weeds with day after day, that's the person they confide in. So Mm -hmm. that information may come from me. It may come from a coordinator, but it's going to be delivered by a coach. Um, This is really interesting stuff for people who love baseball and love hitting. So I um, remember when it seemed this way. I remember Tom Verducci wrote about it in Sports Illustrated that like pitchers living on the bottom of the zone, everything sinking, two seamers and, and, and the like led eventually to a launch angle revolution. And then that was countered. I remember the like the series where the Dodgers like, oh, they know how to get out Rizzo and Schwarber and Bryant and everybody because they're throwing high four seam fastballs with carry and then something that breaks twelve to six off of that. Good luck, everybody. So and 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 where are we uh, where are we since then? You know, um catch me up a little bit in terms of hitting philosophy in the game if that progression that I just gave you voice uh, two is indeed how it went. Yeah, you can't hear a, a nationally broadcast game without it's like having on your bingo card the launch angle swing gets used over and over again. Um, <laughs> the, the, you're right. There's ebbs and flows and trends in the game of baseball, and the high four seamer is one of them. You know, the sweeper this year is one of them. And so, as, as hitting coaches, we are all also you know, having to play a little bit of defense at time and catch up because pitching tends to set the trend and then we have to follow after it. 
So we talk about swing playing a lot with our players. And then more importantly, like really educating them on what that means, like how the bat in the slotting action, that's the first move of the bat coming down into the zone. And as the barrel turns under, it's going to create some sort of swing plane. You'll have a flatter plane, one more uphill, that would be called a launch angle swing, or one that's more downhill and steep of something you've just seen in the 80s of the guys that are putting the ball on the turf a lot on the ground. Mm-hmm. So educating our players on how their swing plane interacts with that four-seamer allows us a teaching moment to say, okay, if, if you want to be able to hit this pitch, this is what you're going to have to do with your body and with your swing. But more importantly, in reality, that pitch isn't a strike very often. So it's uh, the swing decision part, part of that, of letting them know this is what your hot zone is. And instead of working on the high, high spin four-seamer over and over again and machine work at the top of the zone, let's just lay off that pitch. It's not a high percentage pitch for anybody. Oh, God, that's so hard, though. It's so hard. It looks so good, Justin. It is the <laughs> hardest thing to teach. I, if I could go and do mechanical work with a player, like I'm – 95% confident we're going to be able to make those changes. Swing decisions and, and getting into the cognitive part of hitting is so difficult, and we know so little about it. Oh, man, that's it, fascinating. We have, uh, we have the good fortune to talk to Nico Horner every week on Parkins and Spiegel uh, on the show, and I, I, I love talking with that guy. And he said something this week that, like, sometimes you have to swing at the 58-footer um, if you're going to hit major league velocity. So like, like meaning that you just got to be ready and maybe you look terrible against a breaking ball in the dirt, but guess what? If you're a little late on the fastball down the first baseline, that's still a strike is what he said. And it was like, Correct. wow, Correct. that, so, so that's another challenge, right? You have to not be afraid to embarrass yourself every once in a while. Yeah. And as you climb the ladder, you get less of those hitters pitches at every level. You know, that's, Part of what Matt's going through at the big league level right now is like, you know, I don't get that center cut pitch as often as I traveled from, you know, high A to double A to triple A and now in the big league. So that that is an important piece of it is like making sure that when you get your hitters pitch that you're on it. You think um, you think Mervis will will adjust to to what's happening to him? Uh, Because the scouting is so much better in the bigs and the pitchers are better, obviously. Yeah, Matt's a Duke kid. He's really, really smart. And despite him being really smart, he's also extremely simple. He knows what he needs to do to be successful. So, yeah, we're confident he's going to make that adjustment. All right, um, good. Um, all right, uh, two more quickies for Justin Stone. What are the challenges for Brennan Davis, who made a great play in the field last night? And uh, uh, we'd all like to see um, you know more offensive progression from him, obviously. Yeah, Brennan's a, a, a what we call a confidence hitter. Um, you're going to see a couple games for him where he comes out, and then it's just going to be like, well, what was I worried about the first two months of the season? But coming off of an injury, it, it takes a little bit more time, um, especially with a back injury for hitters. Uh, you would say the same thing for golfers. You know, sometimes that those are, are career enders potentially for people. So the ability to, for him to just be free and easy with his A swing, it's going to take a little bit longer with somebody just coming off of a back injury. And so he'll catch a couple barrels and then we'll forget about the past and he'll take off and continue the the hot Brendan Davis hitting that you've seen from him in in recent years. And then um, if I could buy futures, if I could buy future stock on PCA or Owen Casey, which one should I buy, sir? (laughs) Take them both. I can't can't give you that answer. You're setting me up right there. Come on, Uh, man. They're they're both really, really different players. Uh, Extremely exciting. You know, PCA has been on the board for a lot of people for a while. No one's come coming uh, as a piece of that U Darvish trade, but I will say the progression 
that Owen has made from having a good year last year at South Bend. But, you know, you go back and look at the numbers. It doesn't, like, floor you. This is a, a, a top three prospect in our organization. But to put up the numbers he's putting up in Double A right now at a much tougher level, and the toughest pitching in all of Double A is that in the Southern League. And to seeing what he is doing, man, he's really taken off this year. All right, so I heard that. So Owen Casey futures. I'm going to buy those. Thank you. Uh, no, it's like it's like asking who's your favorite child, right? I mean, it is. It is. I had that conversation. Pete was out for a couple of days with an allergic reaction. We spent about an hour a few days ago just talking in the in the dugout, and we say. You know, I have two girls. I'm a travel softball dad on Sundays, which is what I'm getting ready to do here. But I say I have 150 boys. Like, we are emotionally invested in seeing all of you do well. And we spend so little time across the minor leagues of celebrating the victories because you just assume that those guys are okay. And so, But you spend all of your time butting your head against the wall. Am I pushing the right button to get these one or two guys that are struggling? Yeah. Off and going again. So I- it, it is. Our coaches wear that emotionally, and I do too. I, I, I was lucky enough to be a, a softball dad, a softball stepdad for um, a, a couple of years, and including some college, some college softball. My God, I fell in love with the game. I hadn't been that close to it. It's it's so cool, and the dimensions are shorter. It's like you better run hard, and you better get that ball from third to first quickly in that game. Yeah, I enjoy it. It's uh, it's, it's new for me too. This is not something that I, I grew up with. The game of softball, obviously, a baseball guy. Uh, but, you know, really, I, I just put my lawn chair down the, the right field line and shut up and don't coach and just go through the process of enjoying the sport with my daughter. That's that, that's healthy for you. That's good for you. All right. Last thing. Um, give us a couple of guys um, that you feel are sort of success stories from what you as a program have tried to do. Guys who are rising, you're like, man, that guy picked this up because of this coach or this philosophy or whatever. Give me one or two that you're really proud of right now. I think I'll go with some. There's so many names that I could list right there. Um, and, and some of them are the unsung heroes that, you know, are in the top 30, like an Ezekiel Pagan is tearing it up at South Bend right now. And a Jake Slaughter that's knocking on the doors of the big leagues after just two phenomenal years this year and last. But let's go with a couple that um, your listeners are, are viewing day in and day out in, in a Cubs broadcast. So we'll go with Christopher Morrell mm-hmm. and Nelson Velasquez. So those guys have made some outstanding mechanical adjustments and both of them have done just a really good job of improving the swing decisions. And I think everybody loves to watch Christopher Morrell play, right? The the electric smile, just what he does on a baseball field. That is my daughter's favorite player and she blushes every time she sees him. Um, So those two guys, we're we're really proud to be able to graduate to the major league level and see him have some success this year. What what was the key for for Morrell to become what he has been? Christopher is one of those really loose body types. So there's a lot of laxicity in the the swing. Um, That means he's like a very elastic rubber band that has a big rope in the middle of his body. So it was a challenge when you're younger and less physical, and you can see how physical he is today, of tightening up that swing. So he had a lot of length off the backside of his swing that um, he would have to start the swing a little bit sooner, and that leads you to some problems with chase on the secondary pitch. So to have him be able to tighten up the swing with a combination of the high-performance work and then what he's done with our coaches is helped him uh, you know, get off to the start that you've seen this year. Well, um, he's been a joy to watch. Justin Stone, this was really fun. Thanks for uh, the, the generosity with your time. Enjoy your softball today, and, uh, and we'll talk to you again sometime, I hope. Thank you. I have no other skill sets other than talking hitting, so I'll do that with you anytime you <laughs> like.
<laughs> Good to know. Good to know you found the right gig for it. Uh, that's that's that's, right. that's the key. I'm 46 years old. I, I think I've managed a skirt having to get a real job up at this point in my life. Hey, man, right there with you. How are you? You know, here I am. That's it. Uh, I, I can relate completely. Thank you, Justin. Appreciate it. Boy, he's fun. That's Justin Stone, the director of hitting uh, for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, Taylor McGregor will join us at the top of the hour. Also next hour, uh, Jack McMullen from Just Baseball, who is also the AAA voice of the Indianapolis Indians down there. Um, got a chance to see Kyle Hendricks and Hayden Wesneski. So, we will uh, we will bring some of that to you as well. Keep it here on 670 The Score. About how Quattro thinks about his ball club. He knows this is not a thunderous offensive lineup. He doesn't want to give away a run early, but normally you play the infield back in this situation. Especially with two in scoring position and a base hit. Ben Intendi will score. Robert right behind him. Great read, great send. It's two to one. The premier baseball show in Chicago. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel. That was Lynn Casper and Steve Stone on the call from NBC Sports Chicago. It is me, Matt Spiegel, with you here on Hit and Run. Yohan Moncada, two-run base hit there in the first inning. Tim Anderson was brutal yesterday. It was at that baseball game um, in the sun, a gorgeous day. The White Sox played very, very well. Got some key hits. Uh, Lucas Giolito gave up the home run to Sal Perez, and that was pretty much it. Some incredible defense from the White Sox all over that game. A 5-3-5 double play, strike him out, throw him out double play. And really the only thing I saw that I was like, woof, because we're used to a lot of that with White Sox games this year. There were not many woof moments, but every single Tim Anderson at bat was a woof. There was a strikeout early, then there was a double play, and then there was another double play. Um, that and so there, I think he went zero for four. And the two double plays, I mean, dude is hitting it on the ground. He's not hitting it on the ground very hard. The other day, um, who was it who was talking about his bat looked slow? Is that AJ talking about his bat looking slow? Uh, I think it also might have been Josh Nelson on with Burnsy and Holmes on this. Station, but it it's a really bad offensive moment for Tim Anderson, as I share with you that he is not in today's starting lineup. Here's the lineup for the White Sox going against the Royals, and Carlos Perez of the Royals is their pitcher. Andrew Benintendi leads off. Uh, Carlos Hernandez, excuse me, Carlos Hernandez is the pitcher for the Royals. Andrew Benintendi leads off. Jake Berger hits second, the designated hitter. Get that man as many plate appearances as possible, especially at home right now. Luis Robert Jr. hits third and plays center. Yuan Moncada, good to see that. He tweaked something just a little on going for a grounder to his right yesterday. Saw a brief limp, but he's okay and says the back is no issue whatsoever. Yasmani Grandal is the catcher today for Lance Lynn. Clint Frazier is up and in the lineup and in right field. Go get him, Clint. That is uh, no longer Jackson Frazier, but Clint Frazier seems to be in a very good place. Absolutely killing the ball at AAA over the last 9-10 games. So he plays right field. Gavin Sheets at first base. Andrew Vaughn with the day off. 
Hanser Alberto at second. Romy Gonzalez at short is your nine-hitter in for Tim Anderson. And Lance Lynn is your starting pitcher. In what is a must-sweep series on a must-win Sunday for the White Sox against the Kansas City Royals. And um, they should be able to do it. They are not dead yet. It is simply too early in the year. This division is simply too winnable um, to punt on. And it is just they've got to keep showing up and try to play as clean as they can and ride whichever hot hand it needs to be ridden aggressively. Pedro Grafal, I love you having Jake Berger up there in the two-hole. Do it again. It's Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Taylor McGregor from the Marquee Sports Network joins us next. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 